We make choices all throughout our life, and if we're honest, most of those choices, the highest percentage of those choices aren't really all that significant. Uh, You're going to make a choice about where to eat lunch this afternoon, and it doesn't in the long run matter a whole lot whether you have chicken strips or steak or, or salad or hot dogs for lunch today. If you have chicken strips every meal for the next 10 years, it may have an effect on your future. You should have salad every once in a while. But the specific choice for this afternoon it doesn't have a lot of significance to your life in the long haul. But there are some choices, there are a few choices along the way in our life that have significant impact. They alter the direction of our future, where we're going to end up. Uh, They create more choices for us. For example, some of you are married. Uh, You made a choice at a particular time to marry a specific person, and and that has set a direction of your life. Some of you were married, and, and that choice has set a direction for your life. Some of us are parents. We made a decision to become parents at some point in our life, and that has had an impact on our checking account, if nothing else. Right? It's a lot lower than it would have been otherwise. It, had, it has impact. So you, some of you chose a college, you chose a, a major, you chose a profession, you chose a particular company within your profession, and all of those choices, they, were, they had significance to them. Uh, Prophet Elijah lived about 3,000 years ago, 850 B.C., in that, in that area, And what we're going to study today is he calls for a decision. He asks us to make a definite choice. If you weren't here last week, we kicked off a series studying this prophet. Uh, We're calling it Fire and Rain. We talked about rain last week. We're going to talk about fire this week. Uh, We probably should have called it Rain and Fire, but um, James Taylor said we should call it Fire and Rain, and we always listen to James Taylor, so we call it Fire and Rain. Uh, Mandy McKnight uh, is here in this service. She posted on social media that we were taking this series really seriously because we talked about rain last week and Hurricane Michael came through and dumped rain on all of us. I think it was a coincidence, uh, but you may want to check the batteries in your smoke detector this week because we're talking about fire today. I'm not responsible for what happens the rest of the week. Uh, Last week, we saw that Elijah appears on the scene. Uh, the worst of Israel's kings is reigning. He's a guy by the name of Ahab. He's married to Jezebel. And <clears throat> Elijah confronts them. They're worshiping false gods. They have turned the nation to worshiping false gods. And Elijah says, that, look, this can't go on. God, God is not pleased with you. You need to turn from him. And because you haven't turned, I've prayed and there's not going to be any rain for the foreseeable future. And then God, as we saw, he hides Elijah, he feeds him, he provides water for him, uh, he provides safety and protection for him because now Ahab is pursuing him and wants to kill him. That's where chapter 18 picks up. First Kings is about a quarter of the way through your Bible. If you're following along in, in your version, uh, we have it on the screen, we have it in the version app as well. Verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 18. After a long time. In the third year of the drought, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Parenthetically, Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. 
While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. So up till now, as we went through chapter 17, it almost appeared as if the whole nation was worshiping a false god, and there was one guy, Elijah, that was faithful to God. But in the beginning of chapter 18, we realized that's not the case. There's actually more people who are faithful to God, which is a, a, a pretty good principle to remember. As you and I live out our faith, there will be times when we feel lonely, but the reality is we're never alone. Sometimes it feels like we're the only one in our environment, in our family, the only one in our, at our job, the only one that we are close to who's fully committed to the Lord. It feels that way sometimes. But what we don't always see is that God always has people. God's always got people. And sometimes there's 50 of them tucked over here and 50 of them tucked over there, and Obadiah's inside the palace and Elijah's out doing his thing. But there are people who are committed to God in the same way that you are. I, I think about our students uh, when, it, when it comes to this principle because middle school, high school, college especially can be environments where it feels like I'm the only one. I'm the only one. This whole campus, and it feels like I'm the only one trying to live for the Lord. Sometimes it feels that way. And, and, and when it feels that way, it can begin to impact our decision-making. It can begin to impact our choices because we think things like, why am I trying to live this way and nobody else is? Why am I committed to the principles of God's Word? Because it doesn't seem like anybody else is. And it seems like it'd be a lot easier to live the way they're living. Why am I trying to live to this standard that, that I read about in the Bible when nobody else is? And you ask those questions enough, and it, it, it makes you start thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. 1 Kings 18 reminds us, you may not see them at first. You may not know they're there, but God's people are there. God always has people. And if you and I are faithful long enough, He will begin to reveal those people that are a lot like you believe and, and have convictions and are committed in the same way that you are. Another principle from right here at the beginning of, of chapter 18. I think sometimes God calls us to be Elijah and sometimes God calls us to be Obadiah. We met Elijah last week and he's, he's confrontative, right? He's, he's bold, he's courageous, he's in your face. And there are times you and I are are supposed to be bold. There are times that you and I are supposed to declare truth and stand up for what is right. But in chapter 18, we meet this guy, Obadiah, and Obadiah works in the palace of a wicked king. He is, the Bible says, a palace administrator within a wicked, unethical, ungodly administration. And I think sometimes we're we're called to be like Elijah, we're, we're called to speak boldly, and sometimes we're called to be Obadiah, and we're called to work within the environment, the structure. I, I, I don't mean we, we do things that are unethical to go along. I don't mean we do things that are illegal. I don't mean that at all. I just mean sometimes 
God has a place for us within broken systems. We live in a world full of broken systems and broken leaders and and broken rules and, and broken organizations. And sometimes God wants to strategically put you and I within a broken system so that we could be light where there's darkness. Obadiah did not reach Ahab and cause him to convert to Israel's God. Obadiah was not responsible for Jezebel repenting of her sins. Obadiah saved a hundred prophets, though. He, He took care of God's people because he had infiltrated a broken system and was living his faith out within that broken system. Now, I I was tempted to say that some of us are Elijah's and some of us are Obadiah's. And that may be true. Probably personality-wise, we tend towards one or the other. We tend towards boldness and courage and speaking truth. Or we tend towards patience and deliberateness and working within systems. Our personality probably tends in one direction or the other. But I think for all of us, there comes both times. There comes a time in our life we're, we're supposed to speak the truth. We just can't keep going along with things. We're supposed to take a stand. And I think there are other times for all of us, regardless of our personality, where we're supposed to work from the inside and be light and truth and live out our faith. And, and, and probably one of the worst things we can do is just go along when God's calling us to speak out. Or speak out when God's calling us to work from the inside. And you and I have to get clarity through prayer about what season of our life we're in. Ahab realizes that three years of drought uh, have pretty much burned up all the pasture land. So the reason he calls Obadiah in at the beginning of the chapter is he, he wants the two of them to go out and try to find pasture land so they can save some of the cattle. So he says, Obadiah, I want you to go that way, try to find us some pasture. I'm going to go this way and try to find us some pasture. And that's exactly what they do. While Obadiah is out, he runs into the prophet Elijah. And Elijah says, yep, it's really me. I know God's kept me hidden from the king. It's really me. Obadiah, go tell the king that I want to meet with him. And Obadiah freaks out just a little bit. Um, If you read the passage, I'm paraphrasing. Obadiah basically says, why do you hate me so much that you would want me to go do that? I I have survived these three. I'm hiding prophets of God. Elijah, why do you want me to do that? In Obadiah's mind, he's thinking, well, God has hidden you away these last few years. What if he does that again? What if I go tell Ahab, you're coming, and then you don't show up? Elijah says, relax, relax, I'm going to show up. Go tell the king I'm coming to meet with him. 1 Kings 18, verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, you may read the whole story of Ahab and not find any similarity to you, but I bet if you're honest, I bet if we're honest, 
we would find some similarity between ourselves and this moment in Ahab's life. Because as soon as he meets Elijah, the first thing he says to Elijah is, this is your fault. You troubler of Israel. Troubler, the word that's translated troubler, it's a word picture in the Old Testament. It's the idea of water that is stirred around until the dirt and the sediment makes everything muddy. Uh, if, if you've walked into the beach, you've walked into a lake, and you kind of drag your feet on the bottom, and all the dirt stirs up, and it gets brown for a minute, or a wave crashes on the beach, and it stirs up all the sediment, and it gets brown and yucky for a little while. That's the word picture. Ahab is saying, you are muddying up my life right now. You have dirtied everything up. You've made everything difficult. You've made my leadership difficult. You've made things difficult in the country. You've made my relationships difficult. Here's what I find. When my choices lead to muddy waters in my life, I almost always want to look for someone to blame. That's just me. Maybe you're different than me. Maybe you're better than me. Maybe you always and instantly take full responsibility for every choice that you make. I'm just telling you how I am, and I think how most of you are. When things get difficult in my life, when the water gets muddy, my first reaction is to find somebody else to blame because I don't want to take responsibility for this. This is your fault. You've muddied things up. You've messed things up for me. And Elijah says, whoa, let's, let's back the troubler bus up because this isn't my fault. This is on you. These are the results of the choices that you've made these are the results of how you've run away from God and run to false gods. This is your fault. I mean, there comes a point for all of us, if we're honest, if we actually want to get better, if we actually want to be a better person, where we have to look in the mirror and go, it's really not them, it's really me. Really, I've made this trouble for myself. And that's what Elijah tells Ahab. And then he says, look, we're going to settle this once and for all. Elijah's plan was to gather together all of the prophets of Baal. And yes, the false god had false prophets. Hundreds of them, we find out. Probably because prophesying according to what the king most wanted was the easiest thing to do. It's not really being a prophet. But the easiest thing to do for any of us, whether we think of ourselves as prophets or not, the easiest thing for any of us to do is to say what somebody wants to hear. To say what the leader wants to hear, to say what the king wants to hear, to say what the boss wants to hear, to say what the president wants to hear. Just say what they want to hear. And that's what these hundreds of prophets of Baal had done year after year. They're just saying what the king wanted to hear, which is not what a prophet does. See, a prophet speaks truth even when, especially when, the truth is hard to hear. That's what a prophet does. He or she speaks what is true, especially when people don't want to hear the truth. Now, I'm not talking about our opinion. Some of us speak our opinion freely. Some of us speak our opinion all the time. That's fine. We all have opinions, like noses. We all got one. We all have opinions. That's fine. That's not what Elijah's doing here. Elijah's speaking truth. This is what God, this is not what I think. This is not my opinion. This is what God says. 
And I know it's not what you want to hear. It's what God says. So the picture is hundreds of false prophets, prophets of Baal. One prophet of God named Elijah, which is a good time to point out God's never concerned about the odds. If you read the Bible, you find this pretty consistent. God's never worried about the odds. God's never in heaven going, okay, how many does this army have and how many does my army have? Never worried about it. How much money does this king have and how much money do we have? How many resources do they have? God is never bothered, not one time, about the odds when it comes to confronting people who are against him. And in your life, God's never concerned about the odds. God is powerful and a miracle-working God, and He's never looking at your life and going, whoa, the, the, the odds are against us. I think we should hold off. The odds are against us on that one. God's never bothered by the odds. Everyone gathers on Mount Carmel, and here's, here's what happens. 1 Kings 18, 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between your opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. But the people said nothing. How long will you waver? How long are you going to go back and forth? How long are you going to be indecisive? Waver is another Old Testament word picture. <clears throat> the word gets translated waver. In other places, is translated to limp, to be unstable. Elijah says... How long are you going to limp back and forth between these decisions? How long are you going to be mentally unstable when it comes to picking who you're going to follow? And he, he gives them this challenge. You need to choose. You, you need to pick who is going to be God in your life and stop trying to play both of them. Stop trying to have a little bit of Israel's God, Yahweh, and then a little bit of this other God. Just stop wavering. Stop limping back and forth. Pick. Choose. And, and he's, he's honest. He says, if, God, if, if you don't want Yahweh to be your God, then just pick some other God and be committed to that God. And I think today Elijah would give us the same challenge. Like follow God. Commit to the one true God, and if not to Him, then just commit to something. Just pick something else. If it's money, then just commit to money. Live your whole life for money. If it's materialism, if it's recreation, if it's vacation, if it's houses, if it's status, then just pick that and go. Follow that. But stop trying to follow a little bit of God on Sunday and then have all of these other gods that you're pursuing during the week. Pick. Make a choice. God doesn't want a divided heart. He doesn't want a little bit of our heart and then other parts of our hearts reserved for something else. The book of Revelation, the, the very last book of the Bible, Jesus is... <clears throat> commenting on, on a church in a city called Laodicea. And Jesus says, look, here's my problem with you. Here's, here's my problem with the people in this city, in this church. You're not hot or cold. You're not either. You're in the middle. Jesus says, you're lukewarm. And it makes me sick. These are Jesus' words, not my words. 
I want to vomit you out of my mouth. It makes me sick that you won't pick. You won't be fully committed to me, and you won't be fully committed to anything else. Um, I grew up in South Georgia, most of you know. When I grew up as a kid, we didn't have bottled water. I don't remember it. I mean, there wasn't Dasani when I was a kid. Those of you around my age, I mean, do you remember Dasani going and finding bottled water everywhere and buying bottles of water? We didn't have filters on the sink. Maybe we should have. Maybe that's our problem. I don't know. We didn't have filter. We didn't have a little thing on the refrigerator. If you were a kid and it was summertime, you were outside playing and you got hot and sweaty and you wanted water, where did you get water? The water hose, the garden hose, the hose pipe if you're from Alabama, right? Yeah, the hose pipe, the water hose, the, the, the garden hose. And the worst thing in the world was, you know, as a seven-year-old kid, you forget you got to let it run a little while to get the initial warm out, but you turn it on and immediately start drinking tasted like rubber and it was lukewarm and make you want to throw up. Jesus is saying the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation look, pick. Pick. Fully commit to me or don't. 3,000 years ago, Elijah is saying pick. Choose. Stop limping back and forth. Stop wavering. The message is the same today, pick. Here's the danger for us. All over the world, millions of people are going to go to a building like this today. They just are, and I know billions won't. But millions of people are going to show up in a building something like this, and they're going to hear music, and they're going to hear about God, and they're not going to pick. They're going to get up and leave, and they're not going to pick. And they'll come back a few weeks later, and they'll sit, and they'll sing, and they'll stand, and they'll sit, and they'll read, and they'll look on the screen, and they won't pick. And from 3,000 years ago, there's a prophet in heaven still saying, pick, choose, follow God, or don't, but stop being in the middle. So Elijah makes his challenge and then he announces the rules. This is what we're going to do. We're going to have an altar here. Prophets of Baal, you're going to get a bull. I'm going to get a bull. We're going to cut them up. We're going to put the sacrifice on the altar. We're not going to light it. We're going to each call out to our God And whichever God responds and lights the fire on the altar and consumes the sacrifice must be the true God. Can we all agree to that? We all agree to that. Now, this was kind of a home-filled advantage for the prophets of Baal. Because we learned last week, Baal's considered the storm god. Storm god sends lightning. So this this is right up his alley. He ought to be able to handle this if he's really the storm god. They flip a coin. Elijah wins. He defers to the second half. So the prophets of Baal go first. I was just seeing if you're awake and you're not. Um, Prophets of Baal go first. Put their sacrifice on the altar. 
So they took the the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. So for hours, for hours, the prophets of Baal are singing and calling out to Baal and dancing. They were probably doing the floss because they all get killed in the end, which is exactly what we all want to do to the floss, right? They're doing some kind of dance. They're shouting. They're calling on their God, and no one answered. So about noontime, Elijah's going to coach them up a little bit, right? He's going to, actually, he's going to heckle them is what he's going to do. If you read chapter 18, Elijah begins to say, maybe you need to be a little bit louder. Maybe your God's hard of hearing. Didn't put his hearing aids in today. Maybe you just need to be louder. Maybe he's deep in thought. He's trying to solve something. Doing the morning crossword puzzle. I don't know. Maybe he's occupied. He's deep in thought. And you need to get... Maybe you took a trip. Maybe your God is on vacation. Went to the beach. Get a little tan. Can't hear you. If you get louder, maybe he'll be able to hear you from wherever his vacation. Maybe he's taking a nap. Won't be rested up for later today. Took a little power nap. Although we've been at this for a few hours. It's a long nap. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to get really, really loud. Some translations say, maybe your God's relieving himself. Maybe your God's on the potty. Got the door closed. You need to be really loud. And so they get really loud. They shout louder. They sing louder. They dance hard. The Bible says they begin to cut themselves, self-mutilate. They believed that their God wanted human sacrifice. So, so they thought well, maybe if we start bleeding literally, then our God will respond. So they begin to self-mutilate, which is important to remember. People can be fully committed to something that is false. This is scary truth. We can be fully committed. And what we're committed to is still false. It's still wrong. It's still empty. It's still powerless. Commitment doesn't mean it's true. Just because we're committed to something doesn't mean that thing is a true thing. People can be fully committed to something that is false. And the great tragedy is when you're fully committed to something that is false, it's okay when everything is going well. But when you're desperate, you're going to call on that thing and it's not going to respond. When you're hurting, when you're broken, when your life's empty... You're going to call on whatever you've been building your life around, and it's not going to respond. There was no answer. No one was paying attention. And we see it in a lot of lives. We think that materialism and money, and we're just going to give our life to that. And when our life falls apart, you can call on money all you want, and it's not going to fill that part of your soul. 
You, you, you can build your life around another person, I promise you. People are limited in what they can do to fill our hearts. You're going to call, and you're going to call, and no one's going to answer, and no one's going to respond. Verse 29, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Finally exhausted, the prophets of Baal give up. I wave the white flag. and Elijah says, come here. This is the first words. Come here. Come close to me, he says. In other words, I don't want you to miss this. I, I want you looking up here. I know you're tired. You've been dancing all day. I want you, up, I want you to look up here because I don't want you to miss this. Then Elijah reassembles the altar that apparently got knocked down in all of their dancing and celebrating. Puts the wood back in place. Puts the sacrifice on top of the wood. He orders that water be poured over the altar. Digs a trench around it. Second time, more water. Third time, more water. So much water that the trench he built fills up with water. It's Elijah's way of saying, I want you to know there's going to be no way to explain what's about to happen other than God. It's not going to be some random spark that flew in and ignited this fire. The only way we set fire to this altar is if God does something. That's a pretty good place to be, though. How often do we put ourselves in situations where we have to say, either God comes through or it ain't happening? That's what Elijah said. This is either of God, what's about to happen, or it's not going to happen. And I don't want you to be confused. I want you to know this is God. So he soaks down the altar. And then he prays. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The prophets of Baal were killed that day. God sent fire so hot that it burned up not just the sacrifice, but the stones themselves, the soil that set the water in the trenches. Elijah sent his servant to the edge of the mountain. He said, do you see anything? His servant runs back and says, no, I don't see anything. Elijah says, go back again. He goes back again. Comes back. I don't see anything. Third time. Go back. Doesn't see anything. Now, if I'd been the servant, probably the third time I would have said, Elijah, I'm going to just stand over here till I see something, and then I'll come back. Servant didn't do that. He comes back seven times. Se seventh time, number of perfection, seventh time, 
the servant says, there's a, there's a cloud about the size of a hand rising out of the sea. And Elijah tells the servant, go tell Ahab he better get home. Because there's a sound of rushing wind and rain and God's about to do what he promised. James, the brother of Jesus, 900 years later, if you were here last week, we talked about it. James, the brother of Jesus, knowing this story, says, Elijah, it's a person just like you. It's just like you. He's not a superhero. He doesn't wear a cape. He doesn't have a mask. He doesn't have a cool name. He's just a person like you. And he prayed, and the rain stopped. And he prayed again, and the rain came. And he's a person just like you. What are you praying for? What bold, daring thing are you praying for? Because Elijah is a person just like you. Before we close... I want to challenge you not just to pray big, bold prayers because you're just like Elijah and I'm just like Elijah and God listens to us the same way he listens to Elijah. But some of us need to make a choice. Some of us need to pick today. There's a segment of us who were followers of Jesus. We've given our life to Christ, but for whatever reason, we've arrived in a season of life where it's just cooled off. And it was, we were passionate at one time. We were white hot for the things of God at one time. And we went from this season of life to that season, or time passed, or whatever happened. And we drifted to the middle. Pick. Pick. Choose again that God it's the only God of your life that you will fully commit to. And you won't be in the middle, and you won't be lukewarm, and you won't be medium. Pick. And some of us have never picked. Somebody in here, you, you've heard stories about Jesus, and you've come to church before, and, and, and you know the songs. But there has never been a moment in your life where you said, He's my God. The God who sent His Son to live and die and rise again for me. I believe that. I trust that. I put my faith in Him. I pick Him. Some of us have never done that. Don't leave today without choosing. Don't leave today without saying, this is the day when I chose Him. I'm going to be down front after the service. If you want somebody to pray with you, if you want somebody to talk to about this moment, if you just want somebody to be there when you surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to be right here after the service. I'd love to spend that time with you. God, thank you for a 3,000-year-old story about a bold person of faith who looked into the eyes of people and said, you got to choose. you got to stop gravitating to the middle. 
You got to stop being just sort of on board. You got to pick with everything in you. And God, help us to choose. Not just on Sunday for an hour, but Monday and Tuesday and all week and all month and all of our life. Help us to pick you again and again and again. For you are the one and only true God. I pray for those here this morning that they need to choose or they need to choose again. They need for the first time to surrender their life to you. To accept your gift of salvation for them. And I pray for believers who have just drifted to the middle. Today's the day that a new fire starts in their heart for you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.